If you have your Bible today, I'd ask you to turn with me to Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. I want to talk with you this morning about our loyalty to Christ. You know, there are a lot of things in the world that are trying to get our attention and to get us to follow after whatever it might be. There are a lot of philosophies and ideologies and crazy ideas uh, all around our world, and I hope and pray that as we think through our text this morning, as we follow the, the advice that Paul gives, that this will help us when we hear some false ideas and some false teaching, that uh, we'll know exactly what to do. Well, let's look together at God's Word. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up, In him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with great thanksgiving. Patches of fog made the dark night even darker as the Andrea Doria moved swiftly through the North Atlantic Sea. In contrast, the atmosphere Aboard the Italian luxury liner was very festive. They were having a lot of parties. The next day they were going to dock in New York City and everybody was excited about being home. But of course it was fun to have these big parties and they were right in the middle of it. Well, all of a sudden, in just a moment, there was a sharp, uh, unexpected lurch of the ship. All of a sudden, it just jerked, and there was a loud crashing noise. The lights began to flicker, and people were very upset. They didn't know what in the world was going on. And, of course, on a ship, you know, something like that happens. People get into panic mode, and people started yelling and sticking their heads out of their rooms to see what was going on, and uh, everybody was kind of nervous. Well, then the ship stabilized, and the light became steady and constant, and the panic of the passengers ebbed. Uh, It got a lot better, and there was a reassuring voice that came over the intercom of the liner that says, there is no emergency. There is no emergency. There is no emergency. And that just kept playing. Well, there was, in fact, a 30-foot slash in the side of the ship where she had been fatally stabbed by the sharp bow of the Swedish liner Stockholm. That slash remained open to the sea. And, of course, the water was rapidly coming in. The Andrea Doria sank that night. Fifty people died on that summer evening in 1956. Paul had no doubt about the reality of the emergency, a serious emergency in the Colossian church. The situation called for immediate and drastic work. Something to be done to change the course of the events. 
The church was about to be destroyed from the inside by the teaching of false teachers. Spiritual aspirin was not enough. There needed to be a major surgery done and done right away. Spiritual aspirin was not enough. Like a surgeon faced with a malignancy, Paul used his words to expose the danger that was threatening the Colossian church. Paul could have condemned the false teachers. That would have been easy to do. And he could have berated the Christians for allowing uh, what they had been allowing. That would have been easy to do. But the approach that Paul took is really a good model for us as we might study this passage. His constant concern was to help the Christians in Colossae who were involved in doctrinal mistakes. People were teaching the wrong thing. You ever heard somebody say something in a prayer in church and it's just totally wrong? And you want to say, stop, stop. You know, we don't ever say stop, stop, but uh, we want to. Sometimes false uh, teaching kind of sneaks in. Uh, He did not reject them. He confronted them with the understanding of Christ that swept away the heresy. He had a better word. He did not just tell those who were in error to give up something that they were really believing in. He replaced it with something that was much, much better. And he brought them back to the moorings of Christ being in their hearts. How can a Christian protect himself from the deceptive doctrines that will cripple your Christian life? This is a question that the Colossians needed uh, to consider. Every one of them needed to consider it. Paul answered it for them by urging them to deepen their loyalty to Christ. To be a Christian is to be in fellowship with Christ, to walk with Him, talk with Him, to realize that He's with us during the daylight hours, He's with us at night, He's with us on trips, He's with us at home, He's with us at work, wherever we might be. Paul stressed this fact by the use of the term received in verse 6. This word was employed in Paul's time to refer to the passing on of a tradition. If there was some tradition that uh, was important, it would be passed on and the people would get it. And the word that they used way back then was, we have received uh, the word. The tradition has been passed on. Well, Usually, uh, this word received suggested teachings that were passed on, that were shared from generation to generation to generation. But in this instance, in this passage, the term received didn't mean teachings. It was used rather of a person, rather uh, than some doctrine or rather than some ideology that uh, was out there. Christians have received a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 6, 
To be a Christian is to be in fellowship with our living Lord. What did the Colossians need to do? They needed to remember, as we need to remember, that they had received a living Lord. Remembering this, they should devote themselves to live in Him, verse 6. The term live means literally to walk with and involves an instructive description of the Christian life. To live a Christian life is to be headed toward a fellowship with Christ, for us to be moving ever closer to that. We have our direction out there. You know, it makes a lot of difference in our lives the way that we're going. We might be a long way away from Jesus, but if we're going toward him, if we're moving in that direction as fast as we can, then we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Christ is not an imaginary companion. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the one that gave us the word by which we can order our lives. He is the one that brought to us the the truth that we need every day of our lives. As such, he is present with us in such redeeming power that our lives are strengthened, they are transformed, and they are sustained in Jesus the Christ himself. The Colossians needed to overcome the influence of false teachers. All Christians must live in Christ If they're not doing that, then they are being led astray. You know, every once in a while, some new idea comes out, and everybody says, Whoa, boy, that's different. I like that. Well, you know, a lot of new things aren't right. A lot of new uh, stuff that comes out about how to live your life is not right. I mean, you've seen all these fads that have uh, come through. If Paul could not get them to understand this, then there was serious uh, trouble in River City. I mean, it was bad. He made his plea to the Colossians vividly clear in verse 7. There are four action terms in this verse. Rooted, built up, established, and abounding. These four words. All four of these words stress crucial aspects of what it means to live and to walk with the Lord Jesus. The first term, rooted, uh, brings to mind in that day a giant tree with massive roots that went down into the ground and that got from the ground the nourishment that the tree needed. And the roots gave stability to the tree that was way up there in the air. The Colossians Christians needed to realize that they were in danger of accepting a way of life that did not come from Christ. It was coming from another source. It was coming from the culture around them. You know, every once in a while, some crazy idea floats over here from California. And everybody says, whoo, boy, this is good. This is nice. You know, I haven't seen too many really good things come from California. 
just to be real frank about it, the danger is still a reality. If we're seeing all these new things in our culture and trying to adapt to what we think, well, this is new, this must be the way we're supposed to do it now. Many of the motives and goals and practices Christians are tempted to adopt do not grow out of Christ. Murder is very common on TV, but we don't want murder in our neighborhood. We don't want murder in our family. We don't want murder on the streets of our cities. The Christian is called to make the mind of Christ the soil of his life. How do you want to be nourished? In the word of God. In the word that directs us as to the meaning and purpose of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus the Son, that ought to be the focal point of our lives, our teaching, our doctrines. Not desperate housewives, or the Big Bang Theory. The second expression, translated built up, was used to refer to a building that was being added to or, or putting up another floor or going in a different direction or whatever. It was uh, maybe being constructed. And there would be a sign out there that would say, under construction. We've all seen the sign that says, under construction. All, every one of us in here, we've seen that. Well, this is exactly what this term meant. To be built up is to be under construction. A Christian should understand his life in Christ in exactly that way. To be a Christian is to be involved in a continuously intense process of becoming what God would want us to be. And we don't finish that process when we're 29 or when we're 50 or when we're 80. No matter how old we are, this process goes on. It goes forward. False teachers who were insisting that there were more important foundations for life to be built on than Christ were the source of all of this danger. They were saying, whoa, you haven't thought about this yet. Think about this. Read this. Talk about this with your friends. This is really good. This is a lot better than that old Jesus stuff. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Well, they urged the Colossians to get ahead of their fellow Christian brothers by accepting these new ideas and these lifestyles that are false to the Christian faith. The choice of the Christian should uh, be clear. His life should always be under construction according to Christ's plans and not his plans. The third term is established. It was used to refer to something that was solid, something that was strapped down, something that was immovable, something that could not be moved. Established is explained by the words, in the faith, just as you were taught, in verse 7. In the faith, just as you were taught. In other words, the Colossians had been instructed by Epaphras. And he was a great teacher, great preacher, godly man. He had the right word. Paul knew that. 
Paul said, you heard the best stuff. That's what you need to cling to. That's what you need to believe. That's where you ought to be with the Lord. Is just exactly what Epaphras said to you. He was stressing that they should hold on to that. That that would be immovable in their lives. The Colossians had received Jesus as Lord, verse 6. Here's the point at which the Christian is to be established. Christian growth and development must come from Christ, for heaven's sakes, not away from Christ. Christian life demands learning, chapter 1, verse 9. It calls for increasing knowledge, chapter 1, verse 10. It requires growth, chapter 1, verse 28. But the basis of all of it is the firm anchor, that which holds it, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The term abounding introduces the fourth aspect of Christian life stressed in this passage. Abounding was used frequently in Paul's world to refer to having more than usual of something. Do you have more than usual of something around your house? I have a whole lot of blue socks. I only have blue socks. I don't have any other color socks. Everything I have is blue. It matches everything that I... So I have a whole lot of blue socks. If you need some, I can give you a few pairs. It was used in that way. If a person just had a whole lot of money back then, there would be an abounding... They would say, there is an abounding wealth here. Or if you understood a lot of things, maybe you had a... A photographic mind, and you could see things and remember them all. and So you just had abounding knowledge. Abounding. It was used in this way. Abounding in thanksgiving is what uh, Paul was pushing. It's a fitting climax to the four aspects of Christian life that are mentioned here in verse 7. Thanksgiving springs up in the Christian's life because he is aware of God's gifts to him. He was stressing gratefulness as essential to a healthy Christian life. If you have a healthy Christian life, you are saying, I am so thankful for what Jesus has taught me and put into my heart and has given me a foundation upon which to live and walk and, and move about among other folks. And I can be a beacon because of what the Lord has put in my heart. A Christian without gratitude has lost or is losing his grip on the reality of what God has done for him. Gratitude and loyalty go right together, right together. Paul knew one good way to deepen the Colossian Christians' loyalty to Christ. And that was to remind them of the Christ that they had received in verse 6. As the Christian comes to see more clearly what Christ has done in his heart, in his life, in his mind, loyalty is confirmed and gratefulness is the result. 
Isaac Watts captured this uh, in an unforgettable way by the words of one of his hymns. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The love of the cross was so amazing, and it still is today. As we think about Jesus on that cross suffering and dying for you, for me, for all of those around the world that will turn toward him. No one, no one should reject that love. I went to Arizona to pastor a church about 35 years ago. There was a man in the congregation named Ernie Ulmer. Ernie was a dear friend of mine. Over the years we had gotten to be friends, and I just loved him. He was a great guy. We, we thought a lot about a lot of things, and, and we just got along real well. He had a wife that was real sick. I mean, she was bedridden. Her mind was still good, but her body was shot. It was no good. And everything was wrong with that lady. I would go to visit them in their home, and we'd have prayer, and she would always say something that would be, so appropriate, so apropos for whatever the situation might have been. Just did a great job in her witness, even from the bedside. And Ernie was right there. They were just great people. I, I really loved them. They were a sweet, uh, a sweet family. One day I was working at my office and the call came. A call that I knew was coming. It was Ernie. He said, uh, my wife has died. And I said, well, why don't I come over and we'll talk about some things. And he said, come on over. So I went over there. And we talked about what we were going to do and how this happened and that happened and what funeral home to call and when to set the funeral and just how to do it all. He didn't have any experience in that. About a month after the funeral, Ernie called me and said he wanted to talk to me. I said, well, sure. What are you doing about three today? He said, not doing anything. I said, come on over. I will never forget that conversation. I can give it to you word for word this morning. It was a very, very interesting conversation. Ernie said, uh, as he walked through the door, he said, uh, I don't want to be single anymore. He said, I don't like living alone, and I want to get married. And I said, well, Ernie, it, it's just been a month since your wife died. I said, you know, it might be best to kind of, you know, grieve. Have you been through the grieving process? And he said, no, but I don't like living alone. He said, I want to get married as quickly as possible. Well, uh, I had a long list of people that uh, <laughs> had asked me to line them up with somebody. And so uh, I said, well, okay, Ernie. I said, I'll introduce you to some people. He said, well, you date all the time. He said, I know that you know a bunch of women. He said, I want you to introduce me to one of them. So I set him up with a uh, lady that was in the church, and Ernie picked her up. He took her to Shoney's, 
And when they uh, sat down, Ernie said, uh, I'm 58 years old. I have paid off my house and my car. I have a great big retirement, and I want to get married. (laughs) Well, the lady backed up a little bit. (laughs) She backed away from the table. Uh, She called me later that night, and she said, uh, Ron. That was the worst date I've ever had in my life. That was horrible. He didn't know anything about dating. It was horrible. It was just horrible. She went on and on. The next day, Ernie called me, and he said, Ron, I don't think that lady liked me. I said, Ernie, what are you doing about five today? And he said, "Uh, I'm not doing anything. I said, well, why don't you come by, and we'll talk about dating a little bit. He said, okay, at five, he was there. I said, Ernie, how many dates have you had? He said, one. And it wasn't any good. He said, I met my wife when I was 16, and we went together through school. We got married when we were 18. He said, I've never had a date in my life until last night, and it was terrible. I said, well, where'd you go? Where'd you take her? He said, "Uh, Shoney's. We went to Shoney's. I said, well, now, there's a a place by the mall, you know, not too far from here. And I told him about the place. I said, now, the next time you have a date, take them there. I think that would be better. I think they'd like that better. He said, okay. You know what he did? He got out a piece of paper and a pencil, and he he wrote that down. And uh, I said, what did you all talk about? And he said, well, I told her I was 58, and I had paid off my house and my car, and I had a great retirement, and I wanted to get married. I said, well, uh, Ernie, you don't want to start with that. I said, there are some other things you can start with. I said, talk about the headlines, you know, whatever's on the, read the paper and and talk about the headlines. You, You can talk about that for a long, long time. Ask her if she has any pets. Talk about pets. Everybody likes to talk about pets. I said, talk about uh, hobbies. You know, everybody likes to talk about hobbies. Talk about hobbies for a while. You know, and you can talk about where all she's been. You know, has she been to California? Has she been to Texas? Has she been to Alaska? You know, talk about where all she's been and where all you've been. That'll take a long time. Talk about all that. That's good. And uh, he, he wrote every bit of that down. I, I knew her, Ernie had a very ugly sport coat that he wore to church almost all the time. And I said, Ernie, what did you wear? He said, well, I wore my favorite sport coat. And I said, Ernie, uh, that's too formal for the first date. I said, don't wear that sport coat. Don't, don't wear that on any of the dates, in fact. Just, just wear an open-necked shirt and some nice slacks that's what you ought to wear he wrote that right down (laughs) he said uh well ronnie said do you know any other one and i said i do i do i know some other other women he said do you suppose any of them would go out with me and i said yes yes uh, they would you're a real catch ernie i said uh i'm gonna line you up with another lady and i did And uh, so he took her to the right place to eat. He wore the right clothes. He went through my talking points in about 15 minutes. 
And then he said, I'm 58. <laughs> I paid off my house and my car. I have a great retirement. And uh, I want to get married. I asked the lady to call me that night after the date. And she called and she said, uh, Ron, that wasn't one of my better dates. And she told me what had happened. I lined him up with another lady, and they went out, and it, it didn't work either. And then a lady named Mary that I knew in the town, and, and she uh, said, Ron, do you happen to know any single guys that are Christians? I'd, I'd like to meet one. I said, sit down, Mary. <laughs> she sat down, and I told her the whole story, the whole story. And uh, I said, uh, Ernie is a great guy. He's really a good guy. I've known him for years. He's really a good guy. He doesn't know the first thing about dating. She laughed, and she said, uh, I, I told her the speech that he was going to give, and she laughed, and she said, well, I can handle that. She said, that's not going to be a problem to me. Well, sure enough, Ernie took her to the right restaurant, wore the right clothes, uh, talked, went through my talking points, And he reverted to his, I'm 58, paid off my house, my car, have a great retirement, I want to get married. And Mary said, immediately, she said, I'm 58, and I've paid off my house and my car, and I have a great retirement, and I'd like to get married too. They dated for about two months, and then I did their wedding. The three women that were trying just as quickly as they possibly could to get away from Ernie, really made a horrendous mistake because he was a great guy, strong Christian guy, great guy. They missed it. You know, you need to get to know somebody before you reject them. I know someone that loves you. Love so amazing, so divine. I I hope that none of you would reject that love. Jesus will stay with you for the rest of your life. The high times, the low times, the difficult times, the times of major sorrow, he'll be right there with you all the way. Verse 7 says, our love for Christ can be rooted Built up, established, and abounding. Don't turn all that down before you really get to know Jesus. Because when you get to know him, you'll love him. And you'll take him into your heart. This morning, if there's anybody in the house that uh, has never really made a public profession of your faith in Christ... We want to give you opportunity to do that today. He'll always love you. He'll never hurt you. He'll be with you through all the situations of life. I hope if you don't know him, you'll come to know him. You'll accept him as your Lord and your Savior, even today. Today. If you're here, you'd like to join a church that lifts up Jesus, teaches his word. I pray that you'd come today and join with us and stand with us as we try and represent Christ in a culture that is horrible. That's our job in today's world, is to stand up.
for Jesus. I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip forward. Come and take a stand for him. Let's stand as we sing.